Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Achoo! It's springtime for millions of Americans, and unfortunately, that is something to sneeze at. Today, we're sitting down with former EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy to find out how climate change could actually make our allergy season worse. Oh, no. What could this mean for millions of allergy sufferers? We'll also count down to April 22nd, 2020, when we'll celebrate the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. We'll talk about how this passionate global movement began and how it continues to bring international communities together to help protect and repair our planet. Join us as this becomes the biggest global environmental movement in history. Administrator McCarthy, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you you might recognize uh, uh, the voice there because she certainly was a, a guest on the uh, television version of the podcast and, uh, and the show as well. And it's one of my favorite guests of all times. I, I, I can't just run down all of the things that she's done, but the most immediate thing that she has done was that she's the most uh, uh, recent uh, in the previous administration administrator for the EPA. Tell us what you've been up to since uh, uh, leaving that post. Well, when I left uh, EPA, um, I had to sort of think about what to do next, and I decided to uh, spend some time with young people. You know, because uh, I'm pretty inspired by them. Uh, they're they're uh, as as young people always are. They look into the future, and I think that the job that I had with EPA was to look at what the challenges are today and try to make a healthier world in the future. So it, it's been fun to hang around with them. I went to Harvard. I went to the Harvard Kennedy School, where a lot of alums go to do fellowships. But uh, I also went to the School of Public Health because, to me, I've worked in the environmental arena for a long time, and to me, it's a it, they're all public health agencies, right. like EPA is. So it's been fun. I, I get to hang around with scientists who I don't understand a lot of what they say, uh, <laughs> but uh, over time, I've learned to pay attention to them and and uh, make sure that we're following the best science moving forward. So it's been fun to spend time with the students. They're incredibly savvy and and understand what's going on in the world. And they really want to demand a, a better life for themselves and everybody else. And uh, yeah. so it's a fun place to be. Yeah, and I, I, I resonate with that as a professor at the University of Georgia. Uh, uh, they give us hope, the students and the younger people, when we see a lot of the sort of denialism and other things that we deal with in, in this particular field. Uh, on that, let me just set some of the stage here. You're the current professor of uh, practice of public health in the Department of Environmental Health at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the director of the Center for Climate, Health, and Global Environment. So you can see that she has taken her wealth of experience and knowledge and is uh, taking it to a different perspective. Now, you mentioned something about working around scientists that you don't mm -hmm. understand. I want to kind of anchor on that for a second because communication is so important is. when we deal yeah. with science and, and climate science particularly. You've worked at the highest level, advising the president, talking with businesses. What is your perspective on what we need to do better in terms of science and climate communication? Yeah. 
You know, uh, you you have to speak in language that people understand. You know, and fundamentally, scientists aren't taught to do that. You're you're taught to speak to one another. You know, scientists love to jabber with other scientists, and and you write papers for the sole purpose of of having another scientist read it, right. so that it's properly peer reviewed. So the idea of going outside your your sort of uh, uh, your science brethren, if you will, is what we really have to do. And and one of the reasons why I, I stayed at the Harvard School of Public Health after doing the fellowship was that the students were really interested in understanding not just how to do research well, incredibly, and correctly, but they wanted it to matter in right. the real world. The so what factor I always exactly. talk about. So what? And so so their their point to me in, in the little class that I teach for them is is all about translating the science. It's about understanding how science is used in policymaking and to try to get them to figure out how to write a memo so that you're not writing a dissertation or a thesis or a research paper. You're trying to speak in very clear language, right. in very short sentences, in a very short memo to tell somebody that's really important that what you have to say matters and you tell them why you want to do something. And that's what a policy memo is all about. And we're teaching them that how to talk to community groups, how to get out to a community and know how you can communicate the science in ways that aren't so complicating that you're blowing them Mind. Right, right. But I think you'll you'll recognize this, that one of the biggest challenges we have today is that people don't understand the language of science because they don't really know how science is done. Right. And I don't mean that people are ignorant. They're just not taught they're it. They're not scientists. I you don't know? know how people plumber does his or her exactly. job. I don't do it. And, and so scientists always talk in probabilities and right. statistics and, and associations and correlations. And people actually think you know what you're talking about, and they want you to give them a fact, right. not a probability that right. you're right. Exactly. Only science is done by proposing hypotheses and then working through the science to see if that hypothesis was right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about climate change, you know, you come up with, with statements like it's very, very likely that anthropogenic emissions are a significant factor in climate change. What does that what, mean? What, huh? Exactly. You know, so I always tell people, and part of it's a joke, but maybe not. I always tell people what you really want to say is climate change is real. Man-made emissions are causing it, which is why women need to rule the world. <laughs> now, two out of three I'm very serious about and not so joking about the third. You, really, you need yes. to speak. Uh, I know that you need to qualify appropriately as scientists. That's really important. But you need to say what you know before you say what the the what what criteria or judgment you're using to to qualify that yes. because people misunderstand it. And the other thing that we did, we're talking. I'm talking with Gina McCarthy uh, here from Harvard in the former EPA administration during the Obama administration. Here at the Weather Channel, we're taping right now, and they use percent chance of rain, which people struggle with because they want a sort of very deterministic, exact answer on whether it's going to rain or not. But the science is not there. And so I very much resonate with what you are talking about yeah. in that regard. 
I do want to pivot the discussion. But the the, let's, the let's, only thing ahead. I would say is they don't deny that rain exists. It, it, it's going <laughs> to rain. And, and also, even though there was uncertainty in that information, yeah. there's enough they, information that they might grab their umbrella. That's right. And, and, so and that's the, the same thing with climate exactly. science. It's just it's the science is more robust. Right than in most science issues that we've ever faced. Right, right. It's more certain, and in, in people are paying attention to language that that is is really allowing folks that just don't want to admit that climate change is happening because they'll be on the losing end of the stick sure. to be able to convince people you don't know what you're talking about. Sure. And it's, it's sort of like saying, let's keep crossing the street with our eyes closed because I can't be 100% certain that I'll get hit by a car. That's a, that's a great analogy. <laughs> I've not heard that one either. I have to store that one away. I want to talk to you a little bit more about climate change and some some of your thoughts on what you're seeing across the landscape in EPA. But before we do that, I want to establish some of the things that you're doing with allergies. And there's a climate change link there, too. So talk a little bit about sort of this notion of pollen and the allergy season and perhaps linkages to climate and climate change. Sure. uh, One of the things that we're seeing with climate change and with warming temperatures is that you're having longer allergy seasons. But it's not just the length of the allergy season. They're getting more intense because the pollen is getting more concentrated. Because what what happens is that in a changing climate where the the allergy seasons are longer, you're having more intense growth of vegetation. And with that intense growth of vegetation, you're getting more more pollen into the atmosphere, not just for a longer period of time. And as we all know, you know, allergies are just about the most annoying things ever. But they're Raising also my dangerous. Hand, I suffer from them. You know, and 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 it's the same thing with asthma and kids. You know, uh, we are seeing more kids with asthma every day, and it's related both to a changing climate, which is exacerbating the air pollution problems that we face here in this country and everywhere, but it's also with with continued you know traffic in our roadways we're seeing 4 million kids across the world every year are actually developing asthma just solely because they live in a home that's close to a major roadway wow. so we have work to do right. and and if you look at I know you're familiar with with all of the work that goes on on climate change but the national climate assessment mm-hmm. that just came out at the end of last year that's early the fourth this assessment year, that she's yeah. Referring to the 2018, it came out. It it was. Um, I thought it was pretty eye opening. I, I love the climate assessment because it personalizes climate change a little bit more. It's not just the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change, and their reports that are worldwide. But it sort of looks at regions. It allows you to look at what is happening in the state of Georgia. Right. And really, the big takeaways there were not just the allergy and the asthma problems. But the big takeaway was the heat. Yes. You know, and what do you do with outdoor laborers? How do we begin to anticipate problems before they're happening? Because heat stress is going to be, you know, one of the big major factors that that we get hit with. And we know it hurts the elderly the most. Yeah. And vulnerable, popular, marginalized communities as well. And and we've done so little work on what it means for kids. Because we're having them outside playing sports 
What do we do to train coaches and kids to protect themselves in heat like this? That may seem like a little thing until it's your child. Don, and that's a great point because I, whenever I talk to someone as a professor of meteorology, I say, well, what weather event kills more people in the U.S. every year? And they'll say tornadoes or hurricanes and floods. It's actually temperatures. It's heat. It's heat. You know, it's funny thing, but what, but when when you have an event where very few people are hurt and people can see pictures of their faces, they react to that because they internalize it. And and but when you say eight thousand people died of of heat stress, you know that just happened in the right. U.S. Right. You know, we, they're numbers that we don't seem to put a face to. Exactly. And they're so, not telegenic. Heat, no. heat, heat deaths aren't telegenic or like a wind That's from a right. hurricane or That's a tornado. Right. But, but there are things that, that if you sort of embrace this challenge a little bit better, if you stop denying climate change and look at the science and you look at heat stress, it's something that we can actually really respond much more effectively to in the medical community. They should be anticipating this. Cities and mayors, like what's going on in New York City today, is there was actually a a young researcher from Harvard School of Public Health who did some work on heat stress and convinced the city that they should be putting little cooling areas Mm. across the city and they should do something with a buddy system. So they're identifying in communities the elderly and Mm. they're, they're they're getting people to take responsibility in severe heat to go check on oh, them, wow. to bring them to the cooling areas because the elderly often can't afford air conditioning. Right. And if you can't afford air conditioning, you're in trouble in those days. Right. And so they're finding ways to really ramp up emergency room response to these things and understand how you know, the medical community and city planners can do a better job. And the fun thing about heat stress, if there's any fun thing about it, and I don't mean to... Fu- seem positive about heat stress, but more the response to it. What it takes is grow, having more trees. Right. <laughs> what it takes is more green spaces and playgrounds for our kids to be in. Exactly. If you can knock down those heat islands that are happening, you can find ways of reducing the impact in those areas, not simply responding better when you're being overtaxed. In, in, in areas that are hot like it is down here, you got to start thinking about it. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm speaking with former EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy, now at Harvard, and she has a a long list of uh, achievements. In 2015, she signed the Clean Power Plan. Uh, I was chosen by President Obama to lead the EPA uh, in 2013, as I mentioned, uh, serving as the 13th Administrator of the EPA from 2013 to 2017. Before joining the EPA, she served five Massachusetts Democrats and Republican administrations. Uh, So she has uh, had a bipartisan lens, no matter what you may think or have heard about uh, people that serve (laughs) in various administrations. She's worked for Republicans and Democrats. One of the things I heard you say in the previous segment, we were talking about allergy and heat. These are things that affect 
people now. I've heard you talk in the mm-hmm. past about when we talk about climate change, let's not frame it in terms of polar bears. We like polar bears, but let's not frame it in terms of polar bears and way out in the future. Things are happening now. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I can, because I, I do think that that you're absolutely right that, you know, Climate change isn't a partisan issue. I just actually work for six governors. One was in Connecticut. Five of them are Republicans, right. and only one was a oh, Democrat. Wow. I, they, I didn't see them viewing, you know, clean water and clean air as a partisan issue. You know, they weren't interested in making sure that the Republicans got dirty air. Right. You know, because the others would rather have it. It it was a it was a key issue for everybody. And with climate change, we have to get out of the partisan politics around it. We just have to. Yeah. It's it's science. It's what's happening. It's fact. It's happening today. And we need to make people understand that it's not just about the developing world, or or about glaciers or polar bears, but it's our kids, our future. It's happening today. It's impact. Us today, and, and I wanted to kind of pick up on that because, we, again, t- going back to this allergy discussion for a second, because we're in the midst of allergy season as we're taping this. This is um, mid mid April here in Atlanta. If we're and I mean, it's just been a yellow haze around here. But talking about how it impacts people's what I like to call kitchen table issues. Yeah. When we're talking about allergy and we're suffering from allergy, doesn't that have an implication on health care and medication costs as well? Oh, it's huge. I, you know, I was just talking to this, um, talking to somebody about this who lives in this area who told me that the pollen count was incredible. Oh, it's, we've had record high. pollen counts here. And so she was basically saying you can't really find allergy medication out there on, on the shelves in drugstores. It most it shows up in 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 what the government ends up paying to support people's health care, whether it's Medicaid or Medicare. And, and, it, and it shows up out of our pocketbooks uh, for those of us who are not eligible for those programs. It matters. There is nothing about climate change that's cheap. Right. There's nothing about climate change that, it, that, that, that it, actually you can just put aside for a while and see what happens. You have to get after this. And the longer you wait, the more expensive it becomes to address. So you're right. There are medications that need to be given to kids. But I, I don't know about you, but I, I hate taking medications oh, I absolutely like that. Despise because it. they get in they they kind of make you drowsy, yeah. some of them. Yeah, they do. So you're always making trade-offs on your health. And and we have to really think about how trade-offs aren't the issue. But getting at the problem is really the issue we need to get at. And if we don't, it's it's going to bite us not just in terms of our health, but our pocketbooks right. and our pockets. Right. We are going to be spending exorbitant amount of money to adapt to climate change, but it's costing us already billions of dollars every single year right here in the United States to actually repair the damage done by exacerbated storms as a result of a change in climate. And we have were, to get real. When you were talking about this, we were talking before we came on the podcast about how you sense, and I see it too, you sense somewhat of a shift in yeah. the public mood, even in the policymaker mood in terms of perspectives on climate change. You were saying there's some places like Iowa and places that care about their infrastructure that maybe they don't say the words climate change, yeah. but they see something happening. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, you know, for a long time, we've been debating the science and, and really from a science perspective that debate never should have happened. It's kind of done now. But one of the interesting things is that people are 
experiencing and four out of people in the polling shows that people believe that their their own health is being impacted now by climate change. They're sort of getting it. And, and I think you will see a shift in the partisan debate as a result of that because people just want to be protected. They, they don't want to be, you know, deny a science that's going to have such an impact on their lives and their kids' future. And there's a lot of interest now in, in really focusing on children because there is a moral responsibility. And there are many people in the faith community that are picking up on this in increasing numbers because, you know, it is about protecting natural resources. It's protecting, in their view, God's creation. And in many of our views. It's being good stewards of the environment as well as protectors of our kids' health and their future. This is a moral responsibility. Uh, yeah, I agree. And, and I think many of us are beginning to internalize that that ver- very, very much. And President Obama's one of his quotes that he used when he was unveiling his climate action plan is that we're the first generation to feel the impacts of climate change and the last to be able to do something about it. And I do see a shift because people are getting it. They're not interested in in debating what's right before their eyes. They see forest fires that they've never seen before. They see flooding in areas over and over and over that's never happened before. And you can rely on your own personal judgment about whether you want to ignore that or just think it's sort of a fluke of nature. Or you can rely on the science, which is telling us that, that we've had an impact on this and we have to face. Well, not be afraid of it. Just face it. Well, what do, what do you say, uh, in, uh, talking with Gina McCarthy here, former EPA administrator, to the, you know, I get this as a lot as a climate scientist as well. You hear, you, I mean, there may be people listening to this. Look, I know Weather Geeks viewers, uh, they cross the spectrum in their perspectives, and we thank all of you for listening. But there may be someone out there saying, well, climate's always changed. I saw this recently. Someone told me, yeah, I mean, we go through these hot and cold periods. That's kind of the prevailing sort of, sort of retort by many people. Amazingly, it's you know as a climate scientist with a PhD in atmospheric sciences, I know that too. But I was going to say you can answer this yeah, question better st- than but I people, can. But people still feel compelled to say yeah, that to yeah, me. Yeah. How do you respond to that? I think it's really hard. Um, but here's what I try to do: is you know you know it as well as I that climate isn't about what happened last year or this year, and that's what's made it so difficult to communicate is because we don't want to overstate that that exact issue or that exact flood was all about climate change because we have to qualify that. But we now are doing attributional science more and more, which means we can attribute a problem to climate. Change change more readily, and it's getting better and better as the science goes on. But climate is about large-scale shifts. It's about looking in 30- or 40-year windows to see how the planet is reacting, not just our weather system. Right. And and if you look at that, we are seeing levels of carbon uh, pollution, our greenhouse gas, in our atmosphere that we haven't seen for 3 million years. We are looking at not just the temperature changes that we're seeing, in in the greenhouse gas emissions that are gathering in our atmosphere, but we're looking at what's happening in our oceans, how that is warming, how coral reefs are disintegrating. We're looking at glaciers and how they're melting fundamentally in in ways that we never anticipated. We're looking at at, uh, ice sheets and ice cores to look at what did it look like millions of years ago, what does it look like today? It's just like a doctor 
where a kid comes into an emergency room and they take their temperature, they don't immediately just say, oh, they have the flu. They look at, at other things going on in that body and your plant. It's just like the same kind of right. system. Exactly. So, so then you go back and say, what could possibly be causing this? And you look at everything imaginable that is happening in our world and beyond. And there is nothing that connects the dots that beyond a changing climate that is being caused by man-made emissions. There's just no other explanation. The way I try to look at it is it's sort of like a, a connect the dot. Mm. You know, you know, as a kid, you did Absol- that connect absolutely. the dot, and it was only when you connected enough that it was an elephant. Right. It's just like that. We you see connect the these now, dots, huh? you see the dots, and you connect it. It's an elephant. Yeah. You can't connect it and get a turtle. Right. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but I, and I and I think that you know there are a host of reasons that many of us understand that people have varying opinions and viewpoints on this, but. It is encouraging to see people like Jim Baker, Christy Todd Whitman, yeah. uh, Bob Inglis, uh, and and also Bill Ruckelshaus. Yeah, I mean, you name you it. Name, they're, they're, so there, I think. Even there was recently here in this state an article about some of our delegation uh, uh, on the conservative side of the ledger. Sort of, tip, I think the title of the uh, their paper was "They're inching towards an understanding that climate change mm-hmm. is occurring." So I think we can sort of see that there is movement on this. I want to start the conversation, and then after the next break, we'll finish it. Earth Day. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Earth Day. Um, what is your, your perspective? You, you were the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, and that is an agency that in some minds over the last couple of years since since you left has been under attack, has changed quite a bit. So i interested a little bit in your perspective on what's going on with EPA and then um, – Earth Day, why is it important to you? Well, uh, happy Earth Day, 50th Earth Day on April 22nd. Um, It's a day I think we can celebrate because we've made a lot of progress. You know, one of the signs of that is the Cuyahoga River that was burning, that one of the big visible things you could see about pollution that caused actual Earth Day to happen and prompted the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency by Richard Richard Nixon. Nixon. And a Republican. Exactly. Um, also, the Clean Air Act came about it during those time frames as well. Originally, George Bush, yeah, senior, yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. We, the Republicans have been in the leadership because Absolutely. they care about conservation. Look, think about Teddy Roosevelt. Right. So we have a we've gone a long way, probably not in the right direction on these things, and we have to get it back again. But but it, you know we've come a long way. The Cuyahoga River, rather than burning, now for the first time, they you can actually eat the fish out of the Cuyahoga River. Is it's amazing. Wow. It just happened, wow. and so it took a so long way that, for it to recover. Result. It was burning because of chemicals sure. that were in it, it, which is staggering to think about. But here's the challenge we face today: is that I think we've made a lot of progress. We have made a lot of progress, and we've grown as a country. We have good regulatory structures, but we have not made the kind of progress that allows any of us to relax. And then you add climate change to that dilemma, and there's no sleeping, never mind relaxing. So we've made a lot of progress, and we should be proud of that, and we have a good system of government. We should be supportive of that, but we can't abandon that now and call it a done deal. It's sort of like there's there's no, uh, you know, mission accomplished here. We are actually... As a as a uh, a country, we rank about twenty seventh 
in terms of the list of, of countries that are actually doing very well on, on uh, environmentally. So we're falling down in that list because of lack of investments and, 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 and I think we need to think about that. But we're also very much at near the bottom of the list when it comes to rich democracies. So we have to sort of recommit here. We cannot go backwards. Uh, we have to start moving forward in a more aggressive way and there are ways that are being considered right now to do that. So we should stop fighting about climate change and just think about how we protect ourselves and our kids and our natural resources. You'll come to the same answers. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm talking with Gina McCarthy, who's now at Harvard, but has served this nation proudly. And thank you for that uh, at Harvard. I want to end the podcast with a discussion about citizen science and the great global cleanup. Talk to us about your view of how citizens can play a role as we think about Earth, which, by the way, is the only habitable planet we have found and have access to. So there's no plan B planet. So we definitely need stewardship of this one. Uh, Citizen science to me is extraordinarily exciting. Uh, When I was at EPA, we started a citizen science initiative because what you realize is that that the people that are most able to understand what's going on in the community are the people who live there. And there are all kinds of really neat new technologies that allow people to identify the problems in their own communities and go for it. You know, you can identify your water quality in your rivers and streams with new monitoring equipment. You can wear watchers that watches that tell you what the air quality is so you can make your own personal decisions easier and you can gather citizen scientists together to actually share information and then to go to their local communities and and demand action to correct problems. To me, working at EPA, we had 15,000 people in EPA, many of them in our regions, and their job wasn't to accomplish everything in every community. It was to inspire to inform, to share information, to talk about new monitoring technologies, to get them excited and engaged. And to me, the only progress we've ever made on the environment and public health has always been from the grassroots up. So if you can get citizen science scientists acting and getting out there, looking at their own community, demanding action, we can build a momentum that will actually result in huge change in this country in the least expensive, least inv- invasive way possible. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the technology, the education. I just want people out there actually taking charge themselves. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the, uh, everything's local is something that I always have in the back of my mind. And that, that counts for environmentalism and climate change as well. I mean, there are efforts like the Great Global Cleanup. Uh, there's something leading up to the anniversary of Earth they call a billion acts of green. Yeah. Are you familiar with any of these? I am. And, and what are your thoughts on them? These are all just trying to get people involved and engaged. Because yeah. one of the problems that we have is that, you know, everybody's busy. But, but if we don't get everybody engaged, then our world's going to slip away from us. Our ability to make change in a positive way is going to... And so it's all about, you know, get yourself a name, go out, get people active, get them outside. One of the problems that I think that I've seen for a long time is that 
you know, people don't really get out in the natural world and understand the sensitivity of ecosystems and understand what their world looks like. Get attuned to the outside world. And I would encourage everybody that has a child to spend as much yes. time with them outside as you possibly can. Yes, get them off Fortnite. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the issue is that you need to you need to connect with the natural world to understand just how important it is. Right. We cannot manufacture our new world. Right. It exists for us and we have to nurture it and understand it and live within the, the capacity of the natural world because we can't make it have more capacity than currently exists. We didn't create it. We certainly can mess it up. And so the more that we get outside and take action ourselves and get people engaged in, in you know, recognizing that Earth Day is a time to celebrate, but it's not a time to, to say we've, we've finished the job. It's a time to re-engage. Exactly. It's, it's, it's kind of like a refresher, a reboot, That's if you right. will. So Earth Day is, uh, the website is earthday.org uh, on social media. It's at earth underscore challenge. And the hashtag is hashtag EC2020. Uh, I also understand that there's going to be a, a, a mobile app that's being launched uh, in regard to Earth Day as well. So uh, I, I really want to thank Administrator McCarthy for coming on and talking about some of the things that she's doing. Last words here. What's next for Gina McCarthy in the next one to five years? Well, you know, um, I, I think what's next is I'm going to keep continuing in my center to, to talk to scientists and try to translate their information and get them, get it to the hands of decision makers. You know, I'm going to still continue to talk about climate change and health because I think we have lots of solutions on the table already available to us and we can broaden the engagement, get people excited, get over the hump from being afraid into to acting in your own homes, your churches, your synagogues, your mosques, your communities, your cities, your states, um, and I'm going to try to convince people that uh, that a uh, a carbon-free future is a healthier future for them and their families. That it is a more stable future. It's a safer future. That it protects our national security. In it, and it and it protects our economy. I'm going to convince them that that what's best for the planet is best for them. And if I can do that, then uh, I'm going to ride off into the sunset. I'm very happy camper. Well, you know, I, I personally want to thank it, Administrator McCarthy for her service to the nation. Um, for those of you that don't know, the EPA and the EPA administrator is a, a very tough position within any administration because it has a regulatory function. And uh, at Upton Sinclair once said um, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. And so uh, EPA did a lot of regulatory issues, um, takes a lot of fire. And so she stood strong on behalf of the nation and uh, as a steward of our planet. So thank you so much for coming on Weather Geeks. Well, Marshall, can I just say thank you to you for all the work that you and other scientists do? I make fun of you sometimes, <laughs> but but Carl Sagan once said that we live in a society exquisitely dependent on science and technology in which hardly anyone knows anything about science and technology. So in many ways, you're the front line on these issues, and I thank you well, for Well, and I, I, I will say I, I actually make fun of some of my colleagues as well because I am actually one of those scientists that wants to communicate correctly to the public. So thank you so much. We do that every time. Thanks thank so much. And thank you again for listening to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we'll see you next time. 
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.